0: Welcome to
1: Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside.
0: Basically, we're just here to talk about books.
1: We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to another episode of Better Words. We hope that you're enjoying this season
0: so far. We've had so much fun putting it together. Always have fun reading books.
1: Yeah, we do. I mean, we love it. That's why we keep doing it. So this week we are recommending some
0: more books for you. So Caitlin, would you like to tell us what you recommend this week?
1: Okay, I will. My recommendation is All My Mothers by Joanna Glenn. And this one, this is going to sound so strange, but... You will understand and I hope our listeners will understand. Um, as at the time of recording, I'm yet to post about this book on Instagram because if anyone hasn't seen the cover of this, All My Mothers, it's like beigey, white, creamy coloured like tiles, sort of. Um, and there's like oranges on the cover. Are you waiting until you have oranges to post? I want to make, I've made this orange and almond cake before <laughs> and I want to make the cake. Nice. I like that. So I need that for the, I mean, like do it for the gram. haha. So I just <laughs> need time to make the cake um, because it's one of those ones where like you have to like boil oranges and then puree them. And, you know, it's like a long process it's not like whipping up a quick weekend project or something yeah so yeah. it sounds so dumb but like I really want to do that and this book kind of deserves that effort it's such a beautiful story and I do think it is an interesting thing that whenever a book follows someone's entire life or most of it you know possibly with more focus on certain parts Um, you always want to say it's like a sweeping saga (laughs) or something. An epic saga. It's just like a sweeping novel. And unfortunately, that is the word that I kind of want to use for this book because it does follow our main characters a whole life. And it's, it's very, like, lovely to read. I don't remember exactly how long it took me, but there were definitely bits where I like I'd put it down for a couple of days at a time, possibly even a week or so trying to read other things, you know, how it goes. Um, but Some books are like that though. Some
0: books um, are slower and you sort of need the right attention span yeah. for them. So it's
1: okay. But, but every time I did pick it up, I was so absorbed and it was so lovely to read. And so Really, the I don't want to, like, talk about it too much because I really just want people to read it, but the it's called All My Mothers, obviously, and it really is focused on, like, all the mother figures that you have in your life. So it follows our main character, Ava, across her whole life and with all of the relationships she has with all of her mother figures. So kind of a key part at the beginning of the book that... I think as a reader, you know immediately, so hopefully this is not a spoiler, um, but that Ava doesn't feel particularly connected to her mother that we first meet because she was adopted. And when she's very young, in like year one or something at school, uh, one of her teachers reads a book to the class called The Rainbow Mothers or something like that, and it has all of these different mothers in the book and, she, think, and like she thinks that her best friend's mother is the blue mother and the blue mother is, like, so cool and wears overalls and paints and everything and she and her best friend comes from a bigger family and she wants to be part of their family and, you know, all these things which I'm sure in lots of different ways people can relate to, you know, like, I, th- I don't think anyone fully thinks that their parents are definitely the coolest parents in the group like you always kind of look at other people's families and, you know, Michelle, you didn't grow up with any siblings. So, you know, I used to look at people who didn't have siblings or who had older siblings versus younger siblings. And I think that'd be cool because then I wouldn't be the oldest, you know, like there's, everyone has <laughs> yeah. all of those things. Yeah. And so throughout Ava's life, she kind of thinks about the mothers in this book and their colors and what colors different mothers have and so it does go across her whole life and with her relationship with her adopted mother when she her best friend's mother when she finds her birth mother other people you know she works for other women she comes across in her life and she becomes a mother you know there's I don't it's hard to be like oh no spoilers because nothing's particularly twisty but I don't want to tell you her whole life story because you should read the book but (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's so beautiful and it's written really, it's really written from her perspective as she kind of goes through and is remembering things. So I know it can sound quite intimidating to say this book is about her whole life, but it's about the mothers and the women in her life. So it really kind of zones in on those times and like key points in her life, like when she's in like year one year two kind of thing and then end of primary school sort of age teenage years with like her first boyfriend and his mother then when she goes away to college and you know it kind of goes on and zones in a little bit here and there so is it like are we present
0: with her throughout that or is this her in her older years looking back
1: it is as she's remembering but it doesn't really feel that way most of the time except for when there are funny lines where it's like in brackets and it's like I'll explain this later (laughs) oh I like that I like that so like breaks the fourth wall but not because it's a book but you know what I mean yeah so it is a bit like that so it is looking back it's not like present it's like as you're reading about Ava's childhood Obviously, you know that the narrator telling, knows what yeah. happens kind of thing. Um, yeah, but it yeah. doesn't feel too, and then I, and then this yeah. happened, and, you know, none yeah. of that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really lovely.
0: Um, I also have a bit more of a sort of serious recommendation today. And it's funny because we don't actually share our recommendations. We've talked about this before. We don't purposely do this where they end up being sort of in a similar vein. And I guess it's a bit of a stretch to say that mine is similar, but it's it's definitely more of that like literary style which it sounds yeah. like this is. Um so,
1: how do we manage to do this? This is I know.
0: <laughs> God, so weird. Anyway, continue. As What's soon as you started sharing it, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. This is And I, like, we
1: promised guys, we just go, oh, "Okay, so we'll record our intro at this time and then we get on we're like, "Hey," and then we start. <laughs>
0: that's it um so I'm actually I finally read this book that I bought in 2018 when we went to Brisbane Writers Festival together um in loving memory of the audio that never got released to every one of our brilliant chat with Veronica Roth um (laughs) but while we were there at Brisbane Writers Festival do you remember we both because we could go to like anything. We both went to like a gazillion different talks and we literally just like spent, we didn't see each other much of the day because we were both just like had the program and we were just like circling back to back. I know, and we, yeah, we ended up going to lots of different, like things
1: that were different to each other. It's very
0: It was brilliant though. It was brilliant. But anyway, one of the sessions I went to was with a, a brilliant Scottish writer called Denise Mina. And I was listening to her talk about her book, The Long Drop, and it sounded brilliant I had not heard of the case that she was talking about in the book before so I bought it after that and then we moved to England it got put in storage I've finally read it I feel like I deserve a medal every time I get through a very old book on my TBR Um, so my recommendation is The Long Drop by Denise Mina and it's interesting because by the time I've come back to this book I have actually listened to multiple podcasts on the case that it talks about so let me sort of tell you it is a fictionalized version of parts of the serial killer Peter Manuel's story so Peter Manuel is a horrible rapist and murderer from near Glasgow I think it's near Glasgow and what she's done in this is Taken a real event that happened. So, one of the murders that Peter Manuel committed is he killed a family. Um, he killed a mother and a daughter and the mother's sister. Um, so, um, two sisters. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain that. Um, but he killed these women and he wasn't found for a while. Instead, the husband was accused, which, you know is not an unusual thing. Most often it is actually the husband and not a random serial killer, if we're yeah. honest, if we're looking at stats. So there is evidence that the the husband, when he he ended up going to jail for a bit and then got released because someone, it turns out, I think Peter came forward and said, I know who did it. It wasn't William Watt, which is the name of this man. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is evidence that William Watt met with Peter Manuel with a solicitor in a pub in Glasgow to discuss this information that Peter Manuel said he had. Now, obviously we know now that he was the killer, but he was saying that he knew or had heard who had done it. Right. Um, so that, that is oh, fact weird. and the, the facts of the trial, the subsequent trial and everything, they are true and she's done it an immense amount of research to bring that to life but what she's done is interwoven that truth with an imagined scenario of what happened when William Watt when his solicitor left and William Watt stayed to drink with Peter Manuel and there's these a number of hours that are like unaccounted for and so she's imagined what that night was and it splits up that night she makes it last like the whole book, so it splits up every, you spend a bit of time with them in one chapter, and then it jumps forward a number of months to the actual trial, and again, she weaves in really beautifully the fact of what was said in cross-examination or something with the imagined what emotions are going through this person's head, What what's what's going on here. And she's woven this really compelling story. And I think what makes it even more compelling is it's all in like present tense. So it's really unfolding and she's just brilliant at capturing this time in Glasgow, which is just this very like dark seedy underbelly of Glasgow. Um, it's quite a short book. It's only like, it's less than 300 pages. I'm going to say like 250 pages, very, very short book, yeah. but yeah very punchy
1: what a fascinating concept to like take so much real material and it's like you know in high school when you do like a narrative gap oh yeah um it's like that but yeah it is essentially
0: is yeah (laughs) yeah but like she's done so much research and she said i actually
1: work to construct it well and
0: i was fascinated by and i don't i don't want to spoil the fictionalised element of what she suggests happen on that, happened on that night. But if people yeah. are familiar with the case, um, she actually, I, I was so fascinated by it. And like I said, i listened to a couple of podcasts and I will link the ones that I had listened to in the show description or I'll like mention which episodes they were because I've listened to a couple now. Um, but she actually wrote this as a play originally Ooh. and the... Thing that happens on that night, she had a different sort of presentation for for William Watt, and she sort of had a different outcome for him, which maybe aligned. I guess the best way of saying it it mainly it aligned with what, in the eyes of the law, his innocence. And she said, actually, the reason why she was. Uh, sort of inspired to explore this through a novel is that she had a lot of a lot of people who came up because this took place in the 50s so okay. there are still people it's still within living memory and a lot of people came up to her afterwards um, and said actually there's something else you should know or this is the talk things were different you know telling her all these things and so she wanted to explore that in fiction and I just think that's so interesting um, plus it's just a really fascinating read, but I could definitely see how much work had gone into the real history side of it. She really puts you right in there and it doesn't feel like you're reading historical fiction or anything, which I guess technically it is.
1: Very cool like concept, I think, for mm. me. that's really interesting. And
0: I almost picked up more of her books at the library um, and then I was like, oh, if I read these now then I'm going to want to talk about them on the podcast and <laughs> I can't, I need I need she's, to read different She's going to try and mix it up recording. for us,
1: listeners. Yeah, I'm going to try and
0: re- mix it up. But as soon as we sort of finish recording this season, I've already looked at what the library has because she's she's written a lot of crime books and I've read the blurbs of like the three I could find on the shelf in the library and I was like, these all sound amazing. Um, so I have no doubt I'll be reading more and more of her work, but yeah, I'll link the other podcasts that I've found interesting if you're into serial killer stuff and you hadn't, uh, hadn't heard of Peter Manuel before.
1: Awesome. Well, there we go. Two very different recommendations for your listeners.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very, very different, but do you see how it was like sort of the same, like more
1: serious? Yeah.
0: It is funny sometimes when
1: you come with like, a gritty true crime non-fiction and I'm like I read a rom-com
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like it wasn't completely opposite because yours sounds like it's quite serious and somber at times yeah. as well yeah. yeah well we hope that you know you find one of those enjoyable and there's there's <laughs> something for everyone on this podcast um, and we hope that you also enjoy listening to our next guest Our guest today lives in Victoria. Her short fiction has featured in numerous publications, including the Bellevue Literary Review and award-winning Australian writing. Her first novel, The Peacock Detectives, won the Readings Children's Book Prize, was a CBCA Honour Book and was shortlisted for the Text Prize, the Australian Book Design Awards and the Sisters in Crime Davit Awards. But today we are focusing on her second novel for older teenage readers, Sugar, which is inspired by her own experience with diabetes, which is something that we are very excited to chat further about today. Welcome to Better Words, Carly
2: Nugent. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to chat about YA. I think, I mean, we love all of our guests, obviously, but I think we always have a bit of a soft spot for our Aussie YA guests. So
2: welcome. (laughs) Thank you. It is, I feel like YA is a bit of a special community in Australia.
1: Yeah, it's a good bunch. There's a lot of good ones. So to start off, Carly, will you please tell us a little bit about
2: Sugar? for those who haven't
1: had the pleasure of reading it yet.
2: Sure. So Sugar is uh, a YA novel um, and it's the story of a 16-year-old girl named Persephone and she's recently been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes Um, and at around the same time that she was diagnosed, she lost her dad in kind of unclear circumstances. So the story begins with her trying to come to terms with these two pretty major events that have happened in her life. And while that's happening, she is out walking on a bush track and she comes across the body of a woman and then she sort of becomes obsessed with finding out what happened to this woman and I guess in a way she's trying to figure out how to make sense of her own place in a universe that feels pretty chaotic and random. That's the basic premise without giving away any spoilers, I think. I
1: don't want to give away too much, but we might have to- delve a little bit deeper later
0: on but yeah <laughs> yeah beware if you want no spoilers probably best we're, we're going to try and stay away from spoilers but we might stray into that area slightly but it's certainly fair to say I think that it's very very tough time for Persephone like her life is seems to be falling to pieces at the point at which we meet her so that's partly what we want to you know talk to you about some of the different themes that are explored in the book because at times it's it's quite tricky to read it's a beautiful book though and I really even though she was kind of infuriating sometimes I really enjoyed spending time in Persephone's world and like getting to know her and seeing the world through her eyes so congratulations on that thank you
2: she is she is infuriating I felt that way as well (laughs) writing it well, could it that's just how she was I couldn't help it so Persephone her
0: experience with diabetes and that diagnosis process is obviously quite fresh when we meet her in the novel I think it's about a year in yeah a bit, a bit less yeah at the start a bit less. That's six months yeah. or so yeah oh, yeah because she's part of what we see is coming up to that sort of anniversary yeah. and yeah. she keeps going back to this time last year um, which also, I think, is is probably uh, something that, with the pandemic and everything, more and more of us uh, have had those moments where we say, "Oh, this time last year, you know, I was doing this or I was planning this," and you know, I guess it's something that happens a lot, whether you it's on a global made scale. That connect-
1: But I just really enjoyed the look, like the looking back, and I thought it was a really clever device. And I didn't really make that connection with COVID, but it is something that we do all the time. And I wonder if maybe without that, if I'd read a book where it was like constantly, they were like, oh, this time last year, I'd be like, move on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think whether it's like something personal that you've gone through, like there are all these moments in our lives, it's I think. Like Life-changing
1: moments. Yeah. yeah. Um, where you find yourself um, so,
2: doing that more than you would. Really yeah,
1: since then, since it changed.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, there's just all these moments yeah. and I think that's what we're seeing
0: and we're experiencing with Persephone. So it's quite an emotional read. Um, anyway, where I was going with that question was, um, can you tell us a little bit about how your own journey with diabetes has inspired exploring this with Persephone?
2: So I was diagnosed as an adult. So my experience is quite different from Persephone's. Um, I guess in writing Persephone, I was, I'd, I'd spoken to people that had grown up with diabetes and I'd spoken to some teenagers and some kids that that are living with diabetes at that age, but I just, I mean, obviously I had to imagine it for the, for the book, but it, it feels so difficult to imagine what it would be like to go through that experience at 16 when you've got all this other stuff going on as a teenager as well. So I was quite mindful of that as I was writing, but I was diagnosed when I was 28 and I was actually living overseas in South Korea at the time. Yeah, so I was diagnosed and the doctor said to me when my blood test came back, she said, oh, you've got diabetes and it is your friend for life. And my reaction was like, no, no, what are you talking about? This is not a friend. This is terrible. Like, this is horrible. So that was kind of the starting point that I was thinking about when writing sugar was that idea of like, you've been given this diagnosis, someone said to you, you know, you're going to live with this, you're going to figure it out, but you don't want to do that at the beginning. You want to, you want to spend some time just being frustrated and being angry and feeling all those emotions. And I think that sometimes we're really quick to just go to look at the positive and to move on and go, you know, how are you going to manage this, which is so important as well, but I think you need that space to sort of grieve a bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah totally just because you will have it for the rest of your life doesn't mean that you've just accepted that in the 10 minutes since they told you (laughs) that's right yeah
0: yeah and like it does as you're describing it as well you know I'm just thinking to the fact that in the book we're also going through that grief of Persephone losing her father and it does sound very much like those stages of grief that that we hear about which which don't work in any sort of logical stages for most people and are chaotic and messy so yeah would you say that like the grief of maybe losing a loved one it's that's a life-changing experience as well that's something that's going to be with you for life and that you're going to have to live through would you would you say that that's sort of similar to how you sort of processed your diagnosis and therefore like explored it through Persephone
2: yeah I think I think there are a lot of similarities and it's interesting to think about the way when we lose someone that we love there is that expectation that you're going to you're going to go through a whole bunch of emotions and that you're not going to be okay for a while you know but eventually you sort of come back to a new sort of normal but I guess I felt like, you know, if you're diagnosed with an illness, people don't often want to give you that space to grieve the thing that you've lost which is like a chronic illness, like diabetes where it's like, well you're never going to be able to you're never going to be able to go for a walk again without carrying jelly beans with you, or you're never going to be able to eat a meal without injecting insulin. Like that loss of something that you'd taken for granted. I think people want to make sure that you're doing the right thing and being okay, but then they miss out on that space to just not be okay for a bit and just be angry at the universe, which I think Stephanie. Come to terms with it. Yeah, exactly. And have that, yeah, take that time to come to terms with it. While, While at the same time, you know, being safe and not, I'm not saying, You know, if you're diagnosed with diabetes, throw or your insulin out the window or anything. Not at all. But like, yeah, I think you just need to give yourself those spaces to be what you need to be, to feel how you need to feel about it, I guess.
1: You know, the other thing that I thought of when I read the line, like, oh, she said I'd have a friend for life or whatever in the book, it was um that's what people always, like an annoying friend is what it is. And that's what people always say about like your period as well. They're like, oh, is your friend in town? And it's like, Ugh, not a good friend. <laughs> so anyway, that was the comparison I made in my mind. Not the same it's thing. Like an anno- it's
2: like an annoying sibling or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's much better. Diabetes is now your annoying younger brother.
0: (laughs) And I think it's great to obviously to explore diabetes and other chronic illnesses and experiences through YA as well. Was there anything like when you did get that diagnosis, was there any frame of reference for you? Because Stephanie also talks about some of the um, assumptions people make and say things that people say to her were those things that maybe you yourself thought prior to your own
2: diagnosis I guess the thing the very first thing that came to my head was the babysitters club because Stacy yeah, Stacy so and like I just remembered oh she was so thirsty all the time and she needed to pee all the time like that was the thing that was <laughs> just and I remember thinking Cause you know, I'd been quite sick leading up to the diagnosis and I'd had some of those symptoms and I, you know, talked to my partner about it and he was like, you know, you're healthy and you're young, like it can't be diabetes. It's probably something else and whatever. And then, yeah. So it surprised me that, um, that I was, that I had diabetes at all, but particularly that I um, had type one diabetes. Cause I had always believed that that was something that you were diagnosed with as a kid rather than as an adult. So that was a bit of a surprise. And since, I mean, since I was diagnosed, I've met a lot of other adults that have been diagnosed as type one as adults as well. So it, it, It's more common than I thought it was. So yeah, that was something that, yeah, really surprised me. And I guess, you know, the, the other assumptions that you have about, oh, it's just, it's just low blood sugar. So you have to make sure you're eating enough or, or the other way around where it's, you know, you can't, you can't ever have any sugar. And I remember that was kind of the thought I had at first was like, well, I just can't eat anything with sugar in it. I guess, yeah, that sort of assumption at the beginning. And then it, it took a while until I actually came back to Australia And met um, some other people with diabetes. And I met my DNE, my diabetes nurse educator, um, who is amazing. And she just kind of, yeah, blew a lot of those assumptions out of the water and was like, yeah, you can eat cake. You can totally eat cake. You just need to give yourself some insulin. You can eat as much cake as you want. Well, not as much as you want, but you can, yeah, you can do all those things. So yeah, there were definitely some, yeah, some pretty big assumptions because I didn't know much about it.
1: Because I don't... I've known a couple of people I think in my life who are type 1 diabetic and but no one like super close to me that I know all the ins and outs and everything and so reading Sugar when you know there are several scenes where Persephone like wakes up and it's like and so I went to the kitchen and I ate a tablespoon of honey and I'm like that's so crazy I didn't think about all of that part before but it was really interesting all the different you know sneaky snacks she had to get her sugar up not cuz again jelly beans is like the assumption as well people are like i always have jelly beans on me but yeah just like a tablespoons of maple syrup or honey
2: if i was talking to a doctor right now they would probably say no you should be having jelly beans cuz that's the thing that'll you know be the most effective which and that is probably medically true and I do carry jelly beans everywhere. <laughs> but sometimes you just get so sick of jelly beans that you just want, you're like, I don't want jelly beans. I'm going to just, what else can I find? And also Persephone is a teenager.
0: Yeah. And. Yes none of us as teenagers really follow like proper medical advice so no. it makes total sense that she would just be like oh screw it I'm gonna have
2: this Anything <laughs> you know? else? yeah I totally ate Nutella straight from the jar last night because my blood sugar was low and I was like <laughs> well at least you have a me. reason
1: most of the time when I do
2: that it's just because I want Nutella <laughs> well, <laughs> I do that too sometimes I just want to last night I had a reason but not always. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that like cuz I guess I think and I think this is what I like about fiction too is that you know like you can learn about something you can learn the facts about something and you could learn that you know when you when your blood sugar's low then you need to get it up so you should eat jelly beans. But I guess like what I was hoping to do a bit with the book as well was show like that's true, that fact is true, but in the reality of living your actual life there's all these other factors that come into play like it's three in the morning and you're exhausted or You've got to you've got to get up early, or you know, whatever else you, you're in a bad mood, so you don't want to eat jelly. So, it's like, I think there's all that yeah, emotional. There's and, just
1: life around it. It's
2: well. just life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: and so throughout the entire book, obviously, diabetes does have that focus on numbers, with like calculating your blood sugar and thinking about all of those things. And throughout the book, Persephone's blood sugar level is like th- throughout it all the time and we're following her as she's like a bit higher a bit low and all these things but the thing that I found really interesting actually is that there's also a really big focus on words and language because she's always considering the definition of different words and what they actually mean to her and what they mean in a certain situation and I would love to chat about how all of those numbers but also all of those definitions and words and the focus on language came to be a part of the novel and Persephone's voice?
2: I guess I have a real interest in language I guess that a lot of writers do (laughs) but definitely I have an interest in how words have an impact on you know your wider existence and and how you know like I guess when Persephone talks about the language of diabetes and words that she never had to know before but now she does have to know and that's kind of I guess part of that that new normal that she's living. And part of that grieving process of like, well, I never had, I never had to care what, you know, what insulin was or what, you know, hyperglycemia was or anything like that. So she suddenly had to learn all of this. Yeah. This new stuff. So I guess there was that side of it. And then in terms of the way we use language and words that are acceptable and unacceptable, like that was a big part of it um, as well, because she's thinking a lot about what she's guilty of and what she might've done to deserve something. And a lot of that is tied up with things that she either did or didn't say and words she didn't, did or didn't use. So I guess, yeah, language became important in that sense too, because it can have, it can have that, that power. And also in the stories we tell ourselves about why things happen. I think language obviously plays a huge role in that because I think that's a, that's an instinct that we have to try and explain things. And I found that, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was like, well, I'm like, why I must've done something like I must've, I must've not been getting enough sleep, or I must've been too stressed at work, or I must, you know, like I must've, you're trying to find a reason and you use language to tell yourself those stories. So I guess that's part of the reason why it was important.
0: And did you like right from the very first drafts have that, sort of structure in place and have the, the definitions and breaking up everything with the blood glucose levels?
2: Yeah, that was something that was in there right from the beginning. I think that just came with Persephone's voice. When I, when I started writing Persephone, that was sort of the direction that her voice went in. And, and definitely, yeah, the, the idea of having the, the blood glucose numbers there Um, was yeah was pretty important from the start too
1: and I think it is understandable that that would be such a big part of her voice because obviously it's still a very big focus and she's getting used to all of these new things and you have to check your blood glucose level all the time so it like yeah it intercepts you know her day today like multiple times a day it's like and this is the update and now I keep going with whatever else is going on
2: yeah yeah and even if you're not checking you're sort of thinking in the back of your head you know well probably what it is like I can I don't have a I don't I have a sensor at the moment so it's pretty fancy you can just scan I'm 10.7 (laughs)
1: right now live
2: (laughs) before because before I was eight and then I was like oh but I'm gonna do this recording so maybe I'll just have I'll just have some juice just in case I go low and now so you're always trying to like you know balance it out so but yeah so even even when you're not checking you're still kind of thinking like what was I an hour ago and what have I done in that time and have I done any exercise and have I you know yeah expended the energy and do I need to eat something
1: and it must I mean I'm sure obviously everyone just gets used to it but it's so time consuming and I imagine because even I'm sure everyone who has anything like this or food allergies and intolerances and everything you just get so jealous of people who can just eat anything they want and not have to consider anything at all yeah like Michelle (laughs) no allergies or intolerances or anything
0: no although type 2 diabetes does run in my family so I do probably need to be a bit more serious about that than I am just because I know that is something that you can prevent if you have a healthy diet. So,
2: but I mean, yeah. you can't predict, you can't predict like, you know, anything in terms of health, right? Like everyone yeah. should probably be healthier than they are, but oh, then you always saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. times where you're like, "Yeah, no, I'm going to eat Nutella from the jar because I just want to. <laughs> it's such a hard thing to manage. And I think, I don't know, like I, I feel, Feel bad saying, you know, this person manage is is bad at managing, and this person's good at managing, because it's just it's just a hard thing to manage. And I guess again, that
0: is to do with language and the way that we tell stories to ourselves and view the world and create our frame of reference. I guess. Um, so something that I'm really interested in is the way that you open the book because it's quite a shocking opening few pages. Um, and I sort of don't want to give it away because I want people to have the impact of it but it starts with a with a particular word again choice of language I'm just really interested to to know why you wanted to start the book that way and did you have any pushback from your publisher or your editor at all about
2: using that word in in the book so not not really any pushback but we did have a conversation about whether or not We were allowed to use that word. I had a conversation with my editor and she went and found out that it was okay. But we, yeah, we did have a moment of like, can we do this?
1: Who do you ask?
2: Yeah, I are not figure that out. The book police. <laughs> it's like a, like they have a legal team, I guess. I don't know. Oh, yeah, fair enough, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. They, they ask the book police. I like that. Let's go with that. But it
0: is funny. You don't think about things like that until you work at a media organisation and you're like, oh, we have a style guide for how to stylistically write these swear words because you might have to quote them from court, but here's a guide on how to actually them when you need to it's quite you just never think you of it them
2: with, do you put like asterisks in them or something
0: um yeah it depends on the publication's specific oh. style guide so, so just on words um if you love words which clearly you do um and you know most of our listeners probably do as well there is a podcast which I've probably recommended before but is so good called something rhymes with purple and it is all about different words, the origins of different words and sort of their associations. And they often do like themes. Um, so they might do all medical words or they might do words related to the theater or something. And they'll talk about the origins of how we got these words. So highly recommend that for all the fellow nerds out there who just want to dive deep into what different words mean and stuff and and the origins of those. So um Yeah, so you had a discussion with the legal team about whether you could actually
2: use the word. I think. I think. I assume so. I had a discussion with my editor, and then she had a discussion with someone, the book police. Um, (laughs) and then it came back, and it was fine. I guess. I guess there was there was sort of like, well, you might not be able. We might not be able to sell this to Catholic schools or something. Yeah, like does it
0: limit the amount of? yeah potential have you had
2: any complaints <laughs> well I haven't I haven't had any complaints yet but the book's not officially out yet so I'm, that's right. I'm sorry ex- this is yeah, we're, 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 like, we're, some.
0: we're pre-recording so it what, this it really episode be. won't go out for a few weeks well, let's hope you don't have any but yeah like have you had any like feedback from early readers that's like
2: wow <laughs> um so I had no not not negative feedback it's been surprisingly less conservative than I expected so apparently you know I spoke to someone at text the other day and they said you know they're actually having less trouble selling it to schools than they expected that they might so that's really nice to hear um I mean I, did- I guess it's good to get the stuff up out front like you're gonna know
0: very soon if and like I'm not saying that I I loved it. I loved it as an opening. I was like, yes, this book is yeah, such a punch. I wanted to read more. So I guess that's a good thing of like, well, you're going to know within the first few pages if this is not for you.
2: Yeah, hopefully it's <laughs> yeah, pretty upfront about about that. But um, I did have, so one of my favourite YA authors, Vicky Wakefield, who I'm going to fan Girl a bit about. Yes. But she, which this, and this seriously made my year she read sugar and did a did a cover quote for it so I emailed her and I said thank you so much. like I was so excited and she emailed me back and she said that she'd had a lot of fun counting all the words all the time
0: all the time
2: I was like, I love is-
0: Vicky Wakefield's work um, so let me just read out the quote so people know Uh, Dark, hopeful, mesmerising, an extraordinary novel that builds and breaks like a perfect storm. What a quote.
2: I know, what a quote.
0: So, I mean, I absolutely adore her and actually – have the honor text picked one of my old reviews it's not even up online anymore um to use with some of the quotes for one of Vicky's books and I'm just forever like oh my god I love this this is incredible like just cool she's amazing so it's such a quote and you know that I mean that pulled me in but then I read it and I was like wow this is yeah
1: because she's right
0: (laughs) yeah she's right it's amazing." Yeah. So that's, that's really fascinating. Um, And, you know, obviously we've just mentioned there, dark and hopeful, you do tackle some really tough issues in this book. And, you know, if people are listening and wondering whether to read it, like we should be upfront and say that, you know, there's discussions about family violence, there's discussions about suicide. And so if that's going to be triggering, maybe skip forward a little bit, Um, just be aware of that but you know why was it important to you to bring that into this story when I guess you could have easily had a a really meaty story in Persephone dealing with diabetes and living a teenage life you know like there's so much going on in this book. There's so
1: much extra things going on she's got quite a chaotic life as we've already said.
2: (laughs) Yeah there is and I guess I guess a lot of that was just sort of came out as I was writing and I think I think it was to do with how I was feeling at the time that I was writing and just that sense of what is going on in the world. And, you know, that there was that. And um, I think also, I don't know, the idea that like just because you've got diabetes now doesn't mean nothing else is going to happen to you as well, which I mean, that sounds really unhopeful, but I guess it's more like, you know, well, this is the world. And I guess it's the honesty of, yeah, these things can happen and they do happen. And they, you know, they might not happen to you, but they might happen to people around you. And I guess also that idea of, you know, you don't, you don't know what other people are going through all the time. So I guess putting that to the forefront as well is that everybody, everybody in the book is really going through something. And Persephone, and I feel like this is the infuriating thing about Persephone is that she feels like everything is about her and it's all like the universe is kind of focused all of its evil energy on her, whereas everyone has something that they're, they're, you know, going through or, or... Trying yeah. to understand, want to work oh, but so, alas, we often
0: don't it. realize that when we are teenagers, so
1: this we is not. accurate. No, uh, the whole world is about you when you're 16, yeah. um, and there are lots of beautiful storylines where, as you know, as things go on, and Persephone finds out things that are going on with other people around her, and she's like, Oh wasn't about me and so i really liked some of those moments but i also really liked there are i think a couple of times where demi and iris individually said to her and they're like no the whole world doesn't revolve around persephone and i was like god my mother said that to me so many times when i was
2: 16. yeah and did you (laughs) listen probably not no (laughs) (laughs) i guess it was important to have i mean there are a lot of difficult traumatic things that happen in in the book and i guess that was important to help Persephone understand her own self in relation to the world but also i guess i kind of wanted to say like it doesn't like these things are going to happen these things do happen but you know there's still a reason to go on in spite of not in spite of that but, but kind of alongside that i guess like
1: yeah and while not everything is about you also not it's not always your fault you know like things can just happen for absolutely no reason and it's no Sometimes one's life fault. is just shit
2: yeah 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 it is It's okay and it should be okay to say that and to feel that and to go you know what this is just shitty and to have someone go yeah it is and then that and I guess like that's one of the things that does make it worth it is that like things are shitty but then you've got these people that you can relate to and that you can you know have a relationship with and and kind of grow together with through that I suppose. And
1: in the sometimes things are just shit, um, in part two, it's the summer of the horrible, horrible bushfires in Australia and all of the like fire warnings and the evacuation warnings blend with the blood sugar level like checks because it's again one of those things that's constantly on Persephone's mind. Why did you want to intertwine the bushfire storyline into it? Was it always part of the story or did that maybe come as they were happening and you were writing? What happened there?
2: No, it was part it was actually already part of the story before so I've been writing I was writing sugar for a long time. So it that was part of the story before the twenty twenty bushfires. But then I went back and changed some things. Did you like specifically
0: date the book because I I read it undated and Caitlin like when you put that question there I was like oh I just thought it was just a normal summer in Australia which is (laughs) how terrifying our country is
1: and I mean you know I think I just thought that because that was now two years ago and I was like this seems horrible and I don't know it seemed especially bad yeah it was it was just a normal summer in Australia have I just put that on you
0: she lives in the bush, so in my mind it was just like, oh, yeah, like this stuff happens every single summer. Like it would, if you lived in it, that sort of area, it would be, you know, quite a normal thing. Mm. Anyway, that's just a fun little aside. So then sorry, I, then it wasn't was, it supposed to be.
2: But, well, then I was like, did I miss something? Like, No, it wasn't specifically that bushfire season, the 2021, because, I, I mean, I grew up here and I'd gone through, you know, even when I was a teenager, this before I went to uni, there was quite bad bushfires and we evacuated and all of that stuff happened back then. Um, and then since then, you know, here and there, there's been other moments, but I was redrafting after the 2020 bushfires. And again, we'd evacuated and it was quite like stressful. And during that, so when I, so I went back and sort of, it did influence the way that that section was written when I went back and redrafted. So I think, um, you know, obviously back when I was a teenager, we didn't have the the emergency app. So that was something new that I I guess made that connection with the blood sugar because that's what I was doing every day was checking the app and hearing the app ping and yeah. And then checking my blood sugar at the same time. So I think, yeah. And, and I guess it was the reason I felt like it was important was again, talking about shitty things that happen. They're not, they're not always personal things, you know, there, there's this big external world out there too, that Um, has an effect on things just happening
0: I mean yeah yeah what today is the tweet we're recording this I mean we are actually we're pre-recording a lot of stuff because I'm moving house we're recording this on the 23rd of March which is two years since the UK went into its full hard lockdown and I think other places in Australia too but like yeah it is exactly I mean this theme keeps coming up again and again in their episodes but it's so true that like a lot of us have gone through personal moments will experience personal moments of grief and stuff but I think what's different about a bushfire or pandemic or floods is that you do suddenly have that collective sense of trauma and that collective stress and everyone does understand a little bit more than usual that shit is happening to other people and we're all in a bad situation together. So there's almost a, there's almost a, a nice collective feeling, even though you might be going through something very traumatic because you're going through it with other people, whereas when you're going through something like, for example, Persephone losing her dad, it's a very personal grief and she's dealing with it in this individual way. So I think that interaction between the personal experiences and personal traumas and griefs, Again, with, as you said before, like with being diagnosed and Persephone's very much going through that, I guess, a little bit of trauma around that about changing her life and, and things happening in that way. Um, I think it's really interesting to see how it then interacts with the collective, the collective big trauma that she experiences.
1: Yeah, and interesting to hear that as of, as obviously the 2020 bushfires were happening and you were redrafting and everything and it may have influenced how it was written, obviously it influenced how I read it
2: because I just assumed mm-hmm. it was yeah. supposed to be set then. Yeah. And I'm sure there were things, there was probably quotes that I took from the news or, yeah, things like that when she was watching the news that were probably specific, very specific to 2020, so there was definitely yeah, there was definitely big elements of that, but yeah, I guess it it's just sort of a general. This is life in a bushfire. <laughs> bushfire. <laughs> it be more movie. more like that as we go forward, I guess. Right, like
0: the quotes from the news as well, like literally could have been taken from any time in my lifetime. It's scary how much you can just grab some generic quotes or generic headlines, um, and things just repeat. Um, so we mentioned just a little bit earlier that you have this your second book but this is your first book for older readers so you previously written for a younger like middle grade audience was it strange to be writing for an older audience and you know being able to go through all those mature themes to be able to I know
1: that we've guests? just discussed there's a lot going on that can't be in a middle grade novel <laughs>
0: yeah a lot of stuff that's yeah not not suitable for middle grade
2: no no and it's been actually quite challenging in a way because I I work in a primary school and so um and I was I'm working in the same primary school that I worked at when the Peacock Detectives came out so I have an amazing little fan club at my primary school of all these wonderful kids that have like loved Peacock Detectives and I've had to be really careful this time around to kind of say like it's not not for you guys like one day one day but not not now and so I've tried to I've tried to keep it really like I haven't talked about it at school but then of course like you know some it's a small town so someone's mum inevitably says to their kid oh Miss Kylie's new book is coming out and then that kid comes and says to me I'm gonna buy it and then I say I'm gonna send your mum a message no that's not that's not a good idea um It's very, it's very sweet. And I've actually, um, so a friend of mine, this is a bit of a tangent, but a friend of mine, her daughter was 11 when Peacock Detectives first came out and she's a big reader. So I'd given her the draft, the, you know, the manuscript of Peacock's to, and she wrote me some notes and stuff before it was published. And now she's 16. So she's done the same thing with Sugar, which has just been so nice to have this reader grow up with, yeah, with the books. So, That's yeah. so cute. It's very nice. I love she's, that. It's uh, been great but I guess I wasn't I knew that I wanted to write about diabetes from a young person's perspective because I'd met some younger people with diabetes and I'd heard stories you know kids telling me that there was a lot of misconceptions about it at school yeah. and you know amongst their friends and um, teachers and you know other parents and things so I felt like there was a bit of a gap in that area so I thought that it would be important to write it from a younger person's perspective but I hadn't planned on whether it would be young adult or middle grade and then when I started when I started writing that was just the voice that came out and I think it was just you know my own I needed to (laughs) go work through some of that anger and grief about it as well and so that it just kind of went in a teenage direction and that's so that's why it ended up being young adult yeah,
1: bit angry and angsty so you ended up yeah. with a 16 year old girl <laughs> perfect way to work through that that's very healthy
2: i recommend if you ever need to work through any anger just channel your teenage self and that'll, okay. like yeah. that'll...
1: let her deal with it
2: yeah, exactly she can deal with it she knows she knows what to do <laughs> i love that um did you always want to write ya i I just always wanted to write I think so yeah. I've just I've been writing forever I guess and then I was I also a teacher so I was teaching and doing you know little book clubs at school and re- I was reading a lot of middle grade nya and I just I just really I thought that those books were dealing with such like important themes and the stories were great and the I could just see you know how the kids, got into it and you know we'd have great conversations about characters and I thought maybe this is something I want to try writing and so that yeah that's sort of how that how I went down that road but yeah but I'm not I just yeah just words and writing in general but yeah it just sort of ended up that way.
1: Well tell us a bit more about that
2: road how did The Peacock Detectives
1: end up getting published?
2: So I wrote so I I lived overseas for a long time so my partner and I lived in we lived in Korea and then we lived in Cambodia so Um, had a lot of time to write while we were living over there working and writing and then yeah Peacock Detectives had gone through a lot of workshop groups which was amazingly helpful and then when I came back to Australia I just sort of had it and I didn't really know what to do with it and then the text prize came up so I sent it in and then it was shortlisted in 2017 I want to say And didn't win but in that year because it was the an anniversary year they published all four books that were shortlisted which was amazing um so yeah that was how peacock detectives ended up being published you know i had all these i was gonna i was gonna like look into getting an agent and i was gonna you know send it out to all these publishers and then the text prize came up and it was just like this is what i'm gonna do and then yeah and it worked out it worked out amazing yeah. how did that feel it felt a bit like cheating to be honest because I- <laughs> I- I'd spoken to people in publishing and I was like all right I'm gonna go down this road it's gonna be a lot you had of a plan. To, you know yeah do all this and then it was like oh they rang me and they said oh you're shortlisted and I was like that's great and then they said and we're gonna publish it anyway even if it doesn't win and I was like so I don't have to do any of that other stuff <laughs> so that was really it was really nice but it did yeah it did feel a bit a bit like cheating but I
1: love that what an honest answer
2: and what are the that's chances so of seeing that at the right time like seeing yeah. seeing that yeah. price come up and like I don't even I don't even know how I saw it but yeah and then it's I feel like mean, a lot of it was luck
1: I mean but this is the thing there's we love asking this question because no one has the same answer and you know the timing
0: might be lucky but your talent as a writer is what got you there as well and that's that's not luck you know, that's a lot of hard work. Um, Was your publisher, um, Text, who has sent us copies of the book, um, were they open, like when you said, actually, I've got this new idea and it's, it's YA, were they like, yeah, cool, go do whatever you want?
2: Yeah, they were, Text has been so fabulous about being open to, you know, ideas about what I wanted to write and also very flexible in terms of like deadlines and timelines and things like that it's just because I I don't write very quickly so it's you know and I I work I teach as well so I'm sort of doing both those things so it's taken a few years but they've been great about that flexible kind of timeline and and my editor Jane Pearson is like the best editor that I could imagine because she's just she's always she's always up for like a zoom chat if I'm having issues with something or you know a, a lot of Sugar is to do with conversations that we had. Um, She played a big part in getting it to be what it is. So I'm really grateful to text and yeah, to her for that, for making that process so good so enjoyable as well wonderful yeah do you think that you
0: know you said before that you just want to write do you think that you might write adult in the future or
2: stick to younger readers it's I mean I'm playing with a few different ideas at the moment and I think one of them might be adult and then I've got some other stuff that might be middle grade or young adult so yeah I'm I like to mix it up a bit. And sometimes I think it's just, I don't know, my writing process is very much, I feel like I do a lot of sitting down and just starting with an idea and then just writing for a bit and seeing what happens. So sometimes it's hard to tell before I get into something, you know, what direction it is it's going to, to go in. Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find and follow you online?
2: So I am on Twitter at Carly Beth Nugent. And I'm on Instagram at Carly underscore Nugent, but I'm not. I'm not a very prolific social mediaer so um, you can follow me, but I don't know if it'll be very exciting. But <laughs> but yes, but I am on there. That's where you can find me, I guess.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Pod, and follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf, and me,
0: Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.